And he was like, yo, you're going to turn pro, you're going to turn pro and fail. I was like, okay, whatever. On my right, I had Michael Lockett. And we're pumping up, and I look at Alexis. He smiles. Look at Mike, Michael Lockett's arm. I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> and then, to top it off, John Meadows walks into the pump-up room, and it gets really quiet. And I'll never forget this. He goes to the corner, and I, I always loved John. He was a very big supporter when I was a teenager. He always helped me out as much as he could. And I remember he goes to pull down his pants, and he like kind of moons the whole room. And all you see is these hamstrings and glutes. And I'm like, I was really like, holy, what am I doing here? And at that point, I'm like, all right, I'll just go up there and do the best I could. And I was already, you know, like, whatever, let's just have fun. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Berry. I'm Scott McNally, and today we are joined by the one and only Dominic Cardone. What's up, brother? How you doing? What's up, guys? Joining you for a second time, this time with uh, without connection issues and stuff. I'm in the dark, but I'm here. That's all right. You get the mood lighting going. We appreciate it. Uh, all of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for additional savings. If you're in the UK, you can check out Strom Sports Nutrition for some great health supplements and health stacks. If you're in uh, Canada, go to uh, supplementsource.ca. They've got great deals that change week to week. Thank you to everybody who's supporting the program through Patreon. And uh, I'm looking forward to this. I mentioned before... This is our second try, guys. We tried doing this once. This time it's going to work. Everything looks good, sounds good. But I had already told Dom before, man, I've known who you are, like, literally since you were a kid. And you had a better physique than I ever have in my entire life, like, basically as a, as a child, you know. <laughs> thank you, you know, for joining I, uh, us, man. Thank you, guys. Like, again, like I said before, thank you guys for having me on. I've been watching your guys' show and all your shows, Scott, for quite some time, so... And I haven't done a podcast in a while, so it's really good to be on yours. Right on. So this episode, guys, I, I literally just got back into town, and uh, I'm not prepared. So I'm just basically here to enjoy with everybody else, and uh, Skip and Andrew are going to run this thing. So guys, take it away. Where do we start? I got you. I, I want to start from the beginning, because I've been following you, Dom, obviously. I mean, we're friends now, but I've been following you since I saw you win the Easterns in 2014. And, it, you know, I say this before, but on the East Coast, that's like a rite of passage show. You know, hmm. there's Atlantic States, there's Eastern USAs. You're in front of Steve. Now you're in front of Steve and Tyler. Uh, the judging panel's great. It's in a great venue. And and Dom was, happened to win that show. How old were you, were you when you won that show? And even after that, can you tell us, like, what got you into bodybuilding? So when I won the Eastern in 2014, that was two weeks before Nationals, I was 21. Um, that year, I didn't even plan on doing Nationals, which I'll get into. Uh, I started bodybuilding when I was 15. You know, I was playing football my whole life since I was a kid. I was going to my sophomore year of uh, high school. And uh, I actually told this story briefly on Professional Muscle the other day on the forum. I have on it once in a while. And they just uh, the coaches opened up the, the door to the weight room and just said, have at it. And we had no idea what we were doing, but there was leg machines there. There was a leg extension. There was a leg press. Some kids were squatting. So my first ever workout was legs, and which happened to be my best body part. And um, I had no idea what I was doing, at least I thought. And the next day, for the next two days, I couldn't walk. I never worked <laughs> out before. And uh, my mom didn't like that because I couldn't walk to the point where I couldn't go to school. Like, I oh, didn't God. know what was going on. She didn't, she thought there was something wrong with me. And um, so then I started researching, started researching how to put on muscle, how to get stronger. Um, YouTube was just getting popular at the time. 
And then I see videos of Jay Cutler and Ronnie Coleman. And that was it. I said I wasn't playing football anymore. And I competed in my first show when I was 16. I, I couldn't find that history. Was that a NPC show or was that like a different organization? Yeah, so that was the NPC at the. T- uh, I don't know if it still is. Uh, oh, excuse me. It was the Steve So Metropolitans, 2010. I was 16. Oh, okay. I won the team class. I beat a 19 year old in the overall, and I placed top five in the open light heavy, I believe, and novice light heavy. Um, did great that show. I was immediately hooked to competing. And it was actually an interview I did with backstage with Dave Palumbo, uh, RX Muscle at the time. And I told him my goal was to do team nationals one day. Um, do you want to keep rambling on? Did you have another question? Yeah. Andrew? I remember yeah. that interview, by the way. I remember that, man. And then, yeah, by the time you were 21, you had like a legit physique at that point. You weren't well, like just a 21-year-old kid who got lucky. I just wanted to throw that in there. Well, didn't you end up well, winning I, the team nationals in, in the process? So, so 2000, that was 2010, 2000. 11, I did the Easterns. I was 18 years old. I won the team class. I won the light heavyweight novice. I could have arguably won the uh, novice over when I placed fifth in the open light heavyweight. That was in, uh, Mike Yablon, Marco Rivera. There's a bunch of guys. It was a very big class. Um, did good that show. And then when I was 19, 2012, I did the team nationals. But um, at that show, I was 205, 206. I won the heavyweight class, but I lost the overall to Cody Montgomery. That's right. So, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I did lose the overall team nationals. But, you know, I wasn't really uh, – that prep I was working with Oscar Auden to really learn the most I ever did about bodybuilding at that point. I was, like, upset maybe for, like, five minutes, and I was, okay, on to the next goal. You know, I was just happy to, mm-hmm. to be there. And then uh, the next time I competed, like you said, Andrew, was the Easterns. And then 2014 when I was 21, and then nationals two weeks later. And we all know about the Nationals when uh, you showed up in that crazy condition. I, I remember talking to, I think it was like Meadows and like a few other people that saw you backstage. And they're like, there's a kid here with just this most sunken in face. And like, we don't really know what he looks like because you don't, you'd only had what, three or four or five maybe amateur shows at that point. So you weren't like a household name, quote unquote. And and I remember someone telling me like, I just knew that guy's going to be peeled when he peels it off. And sure enough, the, the guy's jaw, I can't remember if it was John or if it was someone, they're like, their jaw just drop saying holy shit this guy is in, in crazy condition and what was that prep like and were you working with oscar then you, you know what's funny is i was actually working with chad nichols for that prep okay. um but what's funny is uh, everybody talked about how a crazy condition at that show yet i didn't i don't see it in the pictures huh. but i remember i remember seeing john backstage i was nervous as hell i wasn't even going to do nationals but chad was like no you should do it i didn't want to do it until i was like 25 or 26 i was, mm-hmm. it was just i was like, okay if you tell me to do it i'll do it and then I was backstage, and then I'll talk about the prep a bit. On my left, I had Alexis Rolone. We were following each other's prep on Facebook. And he was like, yo, you're going to turn pro, you're going to turn pro on Facebook. I was like, okay, whatever. On my right, <laughs> I had Michael Lockett. And we're pumping up, and I look at Alexis. He smiles, look at Mike, Michael Lockett's arm. I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> and then, to top it off, John Meadows walks into the pump-up room, and it gets really quiet. And I'll never forget this. He goes to the corner, and I, I always loved John. He was a very big supporter when I was a teenager. He always helped me out as much as he could. And I remember he goes to pull down his pants, and he like kind of moons the whole room. And all you see is these hamstrings and glutes. And I'm like, I was really like, holy <laughs> what am I doing here? And at that point, I'm like, all right, I'll just go up there and do the best I could. And I was already, you know, like, whatever, let's just have fun. Yeah. And I wound up, 
I wound up winning the class and um, getting my pro card that day, which was which was incredible. But the prep was, like I said, I had no intentions of doing nationals. It was just do Easterns, try to win Easterns, and then um, improve for a few years before I even think of going to nationals. But working with Chad that prep, I mean, it was all pretty damn basic, which was great, and it worked. Um, I do think doing Easterns two weeks before nationals worked in my favor because I came into nationals 10 pounds heavier, and he was also there wow. in person to see me carb up and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I remember when I won the Easterns, he goes, you should do nationals. And I was like, okay, I mean, if you think so. And, and uh, it, it, it worked out in my favor. Well, for a 21-year-old kid, too, I mean, that, like, that's a pretty big expense, not to mention the how intimidating it is to go to the Nationals. No kidding. You're going down. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was, was it down in uh, Miami then that year? Yes, yeah. I mean, for so for, like, you know, a guy from, you know, the New York area, you're like, man, okay, I got to get a plane ticket. Like, this is a big deal. I'm sure, like, you were intimidated just, like, I actually have to travel for a show for the first time. Was that a pretty big deal for you? You know what's funny is actually uh, when I won the Easterns, it was either right before or after I won the Easterns, uh, Gat picked me up as a as an athlete. Um, it wasn't a paid contract or anything, or at least they said not until I turned pro, but that's another story. Um, but they covered all my fees for the show. Okay. So they were like, no, go ahead, do it. So I was like, okay, great. But for me traveling to the show, I wasn't really nervous at all. You know, it was I when I'm in any prep, and then we could even talk about my New York prep later on, no matter what prep I did, either it was when I worked with my dad doing concrete or when I was in high school, um, I always prepared for everything, you know. So having to go to another state, I was like, okay, I have my food with me. What's the worst that can happen? You know, I'm, I'm overprepared. Hmm. Um, and whatever happens, happens, you know. And that's another thing, too, is, you know, even though I did get nervous backstage at nationals, I always put in my mind at all my shows, I, I truly did whatever I could in all my preps. And whatever happened, happened. That's why I wasn't upset when I lost to T National overall. Because I know training with Oscar, every session was as hard as it could be. I know I never cheated on my diet. I never didn't do my cardio. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm just not good enough yet. But one day I will be. So going to Nationals, it was kind of like, all right, you know, let's let's just see what happens. You know, I went there ready to I, – I knew I would be at my best, but the rest was out of my control. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you, I, w- I want to jump in really quick. I just, before we get too far, I wanted to ask what it was like training with Oscar Arden because he, is that where you're going? Yeah. Cause I, I dreamed of training with Oscar. Now, did you train ever at his house in his home gym that he had set up? Dude. So I've heard stories that like the police had been called because they thought like, a you know, a murder was going on in Oscar's house when they hear the screaming, his basement was out put it this way man when i put my home gym together in my basement i thought about oscar like to me that was a dream gym he had all the cool equipment was all just stuffed down in there you literally trained with him like you were a kid at the time in that gym the same gym where like he had great pros at the time coming down to you know i have to say oscar is kind of uh we had a falling out okay nothing again i hold nothing against him because if it wasn't for him coming into my life eight weeks out from T Nationals, maybe I don't know, maybe we wouldn't be here right now talking hmm. about you know winning nationals and stuff. That's how much he impacted me when I was a teenager. And yes, I did train at those house, and yes, those stories were true. And <laughs> that 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 uh, gym was maybe three times the size of my office, which isn't big at all. But yeah. you had everything in there. And I have yet, we actually owned a gym together that never really got off the ground because of COVID. 
Um, but we aim to make a bigger version of his gym for our clients back in New York. This is years ago. When you walk into that gym, there was just a feeling about it. I mean, it yeah. was there since the since the nineties. There was you had Oliver Burke, Victor Martinez. I mean, uh, the list goes on about the guys you had in there, Kai, the guys you had in there. So when you went in there, it was like time to get the business and training with him. I there is no I don't think there's any coach any trainer on this planet that will push you as hard as that man does. No kidding. Um, that is, and I've trained with so many pros, so many guys. I mean, a lot of guys today may look down on it and say it was overdoing it. Yeah. But you know what? It it, it was. I I can't put it, it into words how incredible the feeling was. Yes, and it worked. And you had to make sure you ate for it too. But those leg days. I mean, that doesn't matter how many times you did leg days with Oscar. You had those butterflies go into the feeling because he's going to try to beat you down in some way. But what I have to say as well, as hard as his training was, and it was the most incredible training I've ever had, he did, you know, teach people, listen to your body. You know, how did you wake up today? How do you feel today? Do you feel like you can mentally handle the training today? So a lot of my coaching philosophies really started forming when I met Oscar because his, his, his training philosophies were basic but brutal. His nutrition were very basic. But he did teach me incredibly about the mental side of things and listening to your body and learning your body and expanding your mind a little bit. I mean, we've heard Kai go on the rants. He took it a bit overboard. But (laughs) it probably is where he is today because of Oscar, you know. And, um, you know, to this day, I I still – and we could talk about the New York Pro Peppers as well where me and Oscar kind of linked back up together for training. But, yeah, if it wasn't for those sessions with Oscar and really teaching me – I mean, I didn't – even before I was, I was pushing to my limits with my dad in the gym. But when me and my dad started training with Oscar together for team nationals, yeah. that's when I got to see a side of bodybuilding. Like, holy! Wait, your dad is... trained with you guys too? Y- yeah. So um, wow. we'll get into how I started coaching my dad when I was sixteen. I was going to bring that up. Lived through that. Yeah. yeah so we'll get that into up. that. But um, I was actually getting ready for team nationals under George Farah for uh, underneath George Farah, and yeah. To be honest, the attention just wasn't really there. Um, and I tried talking to him about it. And then finally I told him, listen, you know, I called him up. I said, you know, Oscar, because my dad started training with Oscar weeks before me. Because he was right there. Somebody introduced them. And I had the opportunity. And uh, so eight weeks out from Team Nationals, that's when I started with Oscar. He took over everything. And that was it. And me and my dad were training with Oscar together. And we were just, uh, I mean, we were just destroying each other in that gym. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I just couldn't imagine, you know, because the bond you must have with your dad, kind of like we had Carlos on recently. The, you can tell the bond with his dad is great, yeah. but the bond you must have with your dad, to, I mean, because there's just something that goes unsaid when you've been in the trenches with a buddy or a training partner yeah. years after years, grinding it out, pushing each other to these crazy limits that you just know other people couldn't push you to or couldn't handle. And you did that with your dad. Like, that's 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 really something, man. That's that's pretty cool to hear. To hear. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, we, we've always been cool. We really got extra close when he started bodybuilding after my first show. And then, uh, you know, we started training together. I coached him for a long period, I coached him throughout all his shows that he did. Um, and then, obviously, after my mom died, we started riding motorcycles. We've done everything together. We fought together. We've trained together. Like, we, you know, we've done everything. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be in any of the positions I'm in, you know. That's, that's for damn sure. What was it like prepping him? Honestly, I wish every client was like my dad. Um, <laughs> for and I also, for the record, had no idea what I was doing. I was 16 years old, and my <laughs> first coach was Thackeray. And my dad sits me. It was week after my first first a week after my first show. He says, "Can you you know make me a diet? I just want to put on some muscle." I said, "Sure." 
Two weeks later, he goes, I want to start training. You know, okay. A month later, he goes, I want to compete. This is a month into never bodybuilding in his life. So I says, okay. He goes, but you ha- I'll never forget this conversation because it was at our kitchen counter and when we lived together. He goes, I want you to do it. I want you to prep me. I want you to learn how to be a coach. Wow. He goes, just don't kill me. He goes, just don't kill me. <laughs> and guys, I don't know how I didn't do that because his first prep, he was working six to seven days a week doing concrete. He has his own business. Oh. Um, he was doing eight to 12-hour days. I had this poor man on three hours of cardio a day, zero carbs for six weeks. I was cutting his water three days out, and then he didn't think it was three shows. He looked – his transformation was incredible. But I couldn't at the time grasp why he looked so good a week after his conversation. Like He looked like he could have went into a, a master's uh, uh, qualifying show and sweeped everybody a week after. But yeah. my mind just couldn't grasp the concepts of – why me driving him into the ground with the diet and cardio and diuretics and stuff. But that's what started. And then I did, I started coaching, you know, um, part time for years. People started offering me money. It was all the older guys. And then eventually I went full time in 2018, but you know, backtracking, if it wasn't for him having that conversation with me, I I wouldn't be coaching people. That's That's amazing. Isn't it funny when we think back to some of the first moves we made with like our first clients and like how we look at it now and be like, Oh my God, God, yeah. what was I thinking? Like, that's the opposite of what I should have been doing. <laughs> yeah. And we were convinced we knew what we were doing, too. Like, oh, this 100%. You couldn't move me off my position back then, off right. this or that. Yeah. Right. I, I was definitely over the years, like, a very, like, this is my way, that's it. But now I think back, <laughs> even from stuff I did a year ago, two years ago. Yep. But I really think back to what I did with him. And I was like, Jesus, like, what was, like, what was I thinking? The thing is, I didn't have much knowledge. I think was learning on the forums and online and from Thackeray and guys in the gym, you know. But, you know, he's alive and healthy to this day. Thank God. And, <laughs> you know, if it, if it wasn't for him, that wouldn't have sparked everything for me. He has an EGFR of like nine, but outside of that, he's fine. <laughs> but I, listen, I, he is, he, his blood work looks like he's never taken a steroid or bodybuilding in his life. Nice. And even with all the toxic chemicals he's, you know, inhaled and absorbed with all the years of doing concrete and stuff, like that's just, that's definitely genetic. But he yeah, has to be a tough a, guy, too. He has to be a tough guy to begin with, man. I mean, if yeah. he's if he's a blue collar worker working in concrete, I mean, his own business, like, you, and, and then it sounds like that's the life that you were raised in too. It sounds like that's where your work ethic comes from, is from him. Yeah, I mean, he even in those preps with all the work that he was doing, there was never he never complained once. He never asked for food. He never deviated. He never didn't do less than the cardio told him to do, which was incredible to me. Even on the day of the show, he comes. I remember the first day uh, he competed. He comes rolling into the room. Me and my friend Mike were sleeping in the same room. And you would think the day of the show, with what I did to this man, he would be half dead. He rolls in with a big smile on his face with food for us. He goes, "You guys ready to go to the show?" I'm like, "Wow!" But he had us. He had me and my family working since uh, we were like five or six. Yeah. So, you know, that's how he came up. So that's how he raised us, you know. So you're no stranger to to doing hard labor then and actually like working for a living, you know? I had to do it my whole life. We didn't have a choice. Like when they bought a home, we were the ones in our weekends and summertimes that worked on it with him. If we wanted to buy something, you know, my mom would say, go work with your dad. You know, we had to learn how to use our hands. And if we wanted something, we had to earn it unless it was a birthday or Christmas and even then. You know, my whole life I was I was doing 
concrete or construction. And that was uh, for most of my life. Yeah. Now, obviously, genetically, we pick up, you know, both the genetic predisposition of both our parents. But usually we pick up more of one than the other. As an example, I I tell my kids all the time, if you're ever going to get into bodybuilding, you better hope like hell you have your mom's genetics because mine aren't very good. (laughs) Where, if you have to, who was more genetically superior? Where did you get your structure from, your, your muscle shape, that sort of thing? So this is the crazy thing is my dad had a big waist his entire life, even when he started bodybuilding. But his legs are massive even before bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. He has wide shoulders, a big waist, massive, massive legs, very dense back, um, very small arms, which were, he was blessed with. And then finally, I started to grow some arms. But my mom had, even when she, she started training right before she got cancer, and right away she started changing. She had a very small waist. She had you know, really good delts, good arms, good shape. So I kind of had a blend of, of, of both of them in a way. And my waist was always very small, but even my brothers too, which is, yeah, my brothers and even my sister, all of them, they all have massive legs for what they do, considering my brother's in the army, my sister just trains once in a while. They all have small waists, pretty wide shoulders. So it was like a blend of the bowl. But I would say my shape definitely came more from my mom because my dad had a very rugged, hard, you know, uh, dense look, and mine was always like prettier and, and, and had better shape. Gotcha. Where do we I go from here, Andrew? Curious. Well, I mean, you, you brought up your mom, and I know that you were prepping for the New York Pro um, during that time period that, that, that she was unwell. Did, did you want to talk about that at all? And maybe, you know, did that influence that prep? Did it make it harder for you? Absolutely. No. So um, I, I like to share the story because every time I share it on, on a platform, somebody reaches out with some similar story. Hmm. And um, so she was diagnosed with leukemia October 6, 2014. That was about a month, month or so before nationals or six weeks, whatever it was. So she was undergoing treatment um, and she was up and down for a few years. And then I was set to do my first pro show May 2016. Uh, but six weeks out from the show, she went into a coma because they gave her too much chemotherapy and fried her new bone marrow. Um, and she had this buildup in her lungs of aspergillus, and she had to be rushed to the hospital. They put her under, and she was supposed to die the first night. Um, she went into septic shock. Her kidneys were failing. She wound up live, uh, well, being in a coma for three and a half weeks until we had to make the decision that she, we couldn't wake her up in the condition that she was, you know, going. She was going to die no matter what. So I remember for that prep, I was working with Chris Asito for my diet. Oscar was training me in the gym. We started our prep eight months before. And six weeks out, I was around 250. I was in very good shape. I would have been around 240 on stage. But then, well, this happened. So during the prep, we basically lived in the ICU. We found a closet where we stored our stuff. And I would live in this closet um, at times. So Oscar would bring me my meals to Manhattan, train me at Fifth Avenue Gym. I believe it was Fifth Avenue Gym in Manhattan. I think it was. Um, so this went on for three and a half weeks. So every once in a while, I'd run home. My dad would come do his shift because we wouldn't want to leave her alone with the doctor, so we would stay up in the room. So throughout the prep, it was it was actually a big learning experience because I got to see how true stress and lack of sleep can affect the body. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, there was so many, it was like, I mean, I remember very vividly going for a walk around the hospital in the middle of the night and my stomach was just out to here. Mm. And that's very abnormal for me, especially in a prep. But I wasn't sleeping. There was weird news every day. Either she was going to get better, either she was going to die. It was very up and down. 
Then uh, she wound up passing uh, passing away two and a half weeks out, I believe. Um, and at this point, my body was just dwindling away. I should have put it off, but I remember calling my dad and saying, I don't know if I should continue this prep. I, I, I just I just don't know. And he said, no, when you finish what you started, your mom would want to finish what you started. Mm-hmm. So I did. Um, mentally, I don't think I was there 100%, even though I was still pushing forward and doing what I had to do. I think everything sure. kind of hit me after the show. Um, but a week out, I was around 226 pounds. I didn't look good at all. What's, I looked very strung out. My body was very tired looking back. Yeah. And then uh, I think I was 206 after food and water the day of the show. How much? The amount of 206. Wow. Oh, my God, bro. Yeah. I wow. The amount of diuretics I was given and the water cut and the no sodium. I mean, back, I never questioned any of my coaches, none of them. I always did what I was told. I didn't, whatever. But uh, I don't even know how I didn't go to the hospital the night before the show because I remember having such severe stomach pain that I felt like I was going, I felt like somebody was stabbing me. Let the night pass, did the New York Pro. Look, I'm absolutely awful. But, um, but yeah, that prep, I had to learn, I learned an incredible amount about what to do and what not to do if it came down to these situations and the level of stress and sleep and whatnot, just even the fundamentals of it. But uh, but yeah, after that show, everything kind of hit me because I was kind of brushing off the death and whatnot, and I uh, fell away from bodybuilding for a few years, and then 2000, end of 2019, I said, it's time to come back, and then shortly after, I moved to Vegas, and that was a whole thing. But yeah, that whole, before I ramble on too long, that whole prep was just uh, a disaster. I'm glad I finished through with it, because who knows what would have happened after or whatever, but uh, I definitely learned a lot that prep. So you mentioned, um, you know, you got to train with one of the best, you know, training coaches out there. And it sounds like probably one of the funnest place to train in Oscar's basement. We also got to train over the last couple of years in one of the coolest, newest gyms out in Vegas. Tell yeah. us about the uh, the Dragon's Lair. And, and you know, I know you probably trained a lot with Flex and, and a lot of the, it seems like a, a stopping house for like every good pro who's coming through there, whether for the Olympia or a lot of guys that moved out there. How, how's that been? Or I, I know you're in Florida now, but how, how was that? for that time period so it was i mean when i was there flex is a very good friend of mine you know very he's, he's become family to me he's helped me out in more ways than i can even say but when i first moved to vegas it was to make my comeback in a bodybuilding this was before the dragon's layer was even a thought and um then he moved, wound up moving there and bringing the gym we became training partners he was preparing for his comeback and going to the open and i was going to come back next year and do the new york pro um but training there, I mean, it was it was incredible, especially training with him. He reminded me a lot about Oscar in a way because he just goes absolutely nuts in the gym. And it was a quick reminder of how far away I, I was from what I used to do. Um, but being in that gym, it was – the thing I have to say too is me personally, I like training in a gym alone with just my training partner or my coach. That's why I loved Oscar's gym. Could do whatever you want, not have to think about anybody, not have to talk to anybody. That's why we made our own gym for a short amount of time. So I'm that type of person. But being there in Vegas and then eventually uh, Hoffa Brendel from Brazil, another good friend of ours, he was training with us for a while. So for all of us training together, it, it, it gave me a good feeling of, of when I first got back into bodybuilding, that bond with my friends from New York that I started bodybuilding with. Um, but that gym is absolutely incredible. I tell everybody, if you have the chance to stop by in Vegas, stop by it. Um, however, if it's Olympia time, good luck walking around the gym because <laughs> it's an absolute madhouse. I mean, it looked like an Arnold Sports Festival in there. Um, but between the machines and the people that train there, it's a very friendly environment. 
Um, the one thing they don't tolerate is, uh, is I'm going to say trap people being dickheads. And so that's one thing they don't tolerate there. You know, they try to make it as friendly of an environment as possible for everybody. But it was a great time training there. You know, I was trying to make my comeback there. Um, that didn't pan out due to some health issues that we can go into if you want. But it was incredible. I, I don't regret moving to Vegas whatsoever, even though I'm not bodybuilding anymore. I know, Skip, you had been wanting to talk about that, right? The the health stuff. Yes. You know, I met you at Titan, face-to-face anyway, and uh, down here in Fort Lauderdale. And, you know, it's funny. I told the other guys, and I'm not trying to seem obsequious or anything, but it was kind of funny how you, right away, within five minutes, I'm like, this guy is quite humble. He's quite personable. He's not the typical... <laughs> It wasn't what I expected. Let's put it that way. You you just were. You were just kind of open, friendly, kind of you know take it or leave it. Yeah, I'll shoot the shit with pretty much anybody. So, uh, I, you spoke about your and I didn't know about it. I I felt bad because I felt like I should have known about it. But you were telling me about the mercury poisoning and how you were just finishing up at that time, and I was kind of blown away by that story because I had heard about it, but I had always kind of blown it off as, oh, I've eaten enough tuna in my life that if there was any mercury poison, I'd be green by now, <laughs> that type of shit. <laughs> but you legit did have to deal with, deal with that. And I think the listeners really would like to, to hear what it was you went through and how you came out of that. I actually remember that conversation because, yeah, I was finishing up my treatment at that point. The, going through that was probably the, one of the worst things I've gone through in my life. And I've gone through a lot in a short period of time. Um, so when I moved to Vegas March 2020, shortly after, I started getting some weird stomach issues. Actually, Andrew tried helping me for a bit with my issues um, before I even knew what it was, a mercury poisoning, because I reached out to him. And I thought it was just stomach issue. I had no idea. Maybe it could be SIBO. Maybe it could be this. I was constipated. I had diarrhea. I was constipated, distension, stomach pain. And then it started turning into skin issues. Hmm. I mean, even, and it's hard to tell even now in this lighting, but even now it aged my face incredibly over a year. Um, I started getting these bags under my eyes, these weird breakouts all over. It was very hard for me to put on muscle, which for me is extremely strange. That has never happened in my entire life. No matter what I took, no matter what I ate, I wasn't getting any pumps in the gym. I wasn't growing. I wasn't getting any stronger. I was exhausted all the time. Then it started turning into mental issues, severe depression. I had suicidal thoughts. My focus was all over the place and memory issues. My speech was becoming affected. And then Flex moved to Vegas. I told him about my stomach issues. He recommended I work with, uh, his name was Roland Pankowitz. He's up in Canada. He ran some Genova testing and my mercury was off the charts. It was literally off the chart. And I nobody thought to test it, not even myself, but... For years, I was a big sushi eater. I would eat anywhere between two to three times a week, 40, 50 pieces at a clip when I was bodybuilding. When I moved to Vegas, I was eating tuna throughout the day, the flavored tuna packets. Yeah. And uh, I was eating a lot, a lot of it. And so we ran the tests, and then I actually got in touch with Jason Hu because I know he had mercury poisoning, and that retired him, which I was afraid was going to happen to me. And he gave me a whole rundown over the phone on what to add, what kind of doctor to look for, what kind of testing to do. And I basically took what he told me to do, told his doctor, and they did it. So all throughout 2021, I went weekly for uh, intravenous um, DMPS. I took EDTA pill form. Um, they had me do an acupuncture. 
oxygen therapy for my blood, and I did this from June 2021 to December 2021, and the levels went down to nothing. Hmm. Um, so throughout that time period, I was like very up and down. I didn't, I didn't feel right, but I was getting better as time progressed. But before that, it was absolutely horrific. Like just going day to day and just even thinking about body. I was trying, I was trying my best to come back, and but just going through that, that was absolutely horrible. That had to be like terrifying too, especially before you even knew what what it was, man. Like, am I going crazy? You know what I mean? Between the mental stuff, the physical stuff, I could only imagine. Well, let and me go one deeper because I'm wondering too the time frame that you're having these issues versus your your mom's passing. Did you have these issues after? No, I had zero issues after. So she passed away in May 2016. I stopped bodybuilding, I stopped really training for a while. Um, I was like very on and off. Uh, it was August 6, 2019, I said, okay, I gotta come back into bodybuilding. Yeah. And then March 2020 is when I started, when is when I moved to Vegas. And the gut issue started right before I moved to Vegas. But then when I got there and I tracked back, I was eating enormous amounts of fish, just huh. almost 14 ounces a meal, tuna on top of the sushi, and then things got worse and got worse and got worse and got worse. And the last okay, thing you're so, thinking is it's the fish. You know, that's like the last thing you're thinking, you know, at that time, get, at least. Exactly. And that's what I'm thinking. And I'm wondering this, and I maybe just, maybe I'm thinking differently than everybody else, but did, did you maybe think, is this what my mom had? Or do I have leukemia? Is there something? Wow, it, you, yeah. it had to, oh, right? Because so another thing too is I still get scared to this. I have I still have immune problems from the mercury. Oh, um, but yeah, at times that was like, you know, I was like, it could, God forbid, could this be a cancer? Could this be yeah, something? Yeah. You know, for me, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I tried taking more steroids. Sure. I tried taking less. I tried eating more. I tried eating less. Nothing was doing anything. Like weight was just falling off me, like I've never seen before. Um, my moods were up and down. I felt weak. I'm like, and I knew my, my gear and stuff was good. You know, I, that wasn't even a question. <laughs> I looked up and down at everything I possibly could, but skip Like it was like some people even said, I think you're, you think you're thinking too much. You're going crazy. I was like, yeah. no, I'm not. I know my body. Yeah. Something is fucking wrong here. And then when the testing came out, the mercury was off the charts, but that absolutely went through my mind. And that doesn't just, from what I understand about like heavy metal toxicity, like it doesn't just leave your body on its own like that. You could eat less tuna and it doesn't matter, right? Like, cause that's just going to stay until you actually do something about it. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the metal, but mercury absolutely lead stores in the bones. Mercury for the most part stores in tissues and connective tissues in the brain. Hmm. So chelation therapy is a must. Um, that's what I went through is chelation therapy. It basically hmm. goes in it pulls it out of the tissue so you can excrete it out. So here in the United States, they don't really recognize it, so you gotta pay out of pocket, and you gotta go to a functional doctor. But yet, if you go to Europe, it's something that their medical system takes very seriously. But yet, here in the United States, so many kids are exposed to lead, paints, even in uh, material, clothing, um, mercury, and food. I mean, it's all over the place, and this, this country, they don't take it serious. The doctors know nothing about it, unless it's a functional doctor. So you have to go through this treatment to pull this out of your bones because it will cause immune problems over time, brain problems. There was even a, a story of a child online who couldn't find the help he needed. He was a teenager, I believe, and eventually he wound up committing suicide. His wow. parents documented his journal online 
to, to raise awareness to mercury poisoning. Yeah. Wow. Can, and then can I interject? Yeah. I, I want to share because uh, me and Dom worked together for a little while because I, I assumed I from all the symptoms, I thought it was like SIBO, like he had a, yeah. a small intestinal bacterial infection or something <clears throat> related to that. So we did a detox um, and we and I put him on an elemental plan. And just to give you an idea of like what Dom was doing, he was literally four to five meals a day of just true nutrition whey <laughs> and either three to four scoops of maltodextrin per meal and one scoop of MCT powder every meal. So anywhere between like 90 and 120 grams of malto, which as you guys know, it doesn't, you know, you can do that once or twice in a day, but four to five times a day is, th this is the length that he was willing to go to, to try to like get this thing figured out yeah. um, for that time period. And uh, we, we and I the him on the element. Was, for the time that we did that, I felt great. My well, because you weren't getting any up. fish. You weren't getting any mercury for that right. time period. So at least it wasn't getting worse. You weren't having the chelation therapy or anything else that was helping decrease it. But at least you weren't adding to it during that time period. And um, with what we did initially at the, uh, with some of the supplements, we did um, detox your liver, which probably played a small role in helping, um, you know, get rid of some of that extra mercury. But, yeah, like, it, I, I'll be honest. I didn't think, like, oh, he's got a, he's got a sure. heavy metal. Uh, you know, toxicity issue. He's got uh, mercury. That was the furthest thing from my mind. It was really, I was thinking, okay, he's got a bacterial overgrowth that was uh, yeah. caused because your symptoms were like, were almost like textbook, you know? So, no, it's true. Everybody thought the same thing. Nobody would have, even doctors, I even went to a gastro, which we know how worthless it could be sometimes. Nobody yeah. knew what it was, you know? But for that period of time, it felt pretty good. What would you say, Scott? I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. So, uh, um, you find out that it's mercury. You start the therapies. Can you refresh me? How long did that process take? And how long did it take before you started feeling better? Like after your first chelation therapy, where you're like, oh, wow, I can tell the difference. Or was it something that took a while? So that's actually a great question because that's something uh, Jason had warned me on. Um, so my treatment went from June 2021 to December 2021. Okay. And what like he told me is when you – yeah, it was all year, and I went pretty much every week. I skipped maybe two or three weeks because I was traveling. Yeah. But what he told me, he goes, when you get your treatment, you're going to feel this high raise of energy after. You're going to feel like a little bit jittery, energetic, maybe a little bit happy, but it's going to go away. The rate, so when you take that therapy, it's pulling it out of the tissues, bringing it out, but you're becoming more exposed to it in a way. Oh. So you're going through these ups and downs. Yeah, you're excreting it, but you're not excreting all of it. So whatever doesn't get urinated out or doesn't come out in your bowels gets redistributed so oh, it can go to any of the yeah. organs that were the brains so there was times i felt damn good my skin would glow and look great and then there was other times where i just I, I couldn't really function until like the next treatment it would just be this consistent up and down but throughout the year it got better and better and better and then once i you know the levels were down they said you don't need it anymore and i stopped but it's interesting because I would, I would still like to get tested to this day to see if any more has maybe come out because yeah. I still deal with some of the symptoms, you know, mentally and my skin and stuff and my immune system. I know it's going to take a while, but throughout the treatment was very up and down. But for a while after, I felt great. Amazing. Wow. So you were you were bodybuilding up into that point. You were going to make a comeback. Obviously, this completely sidelined not only that, but like really life in general. What happened after that? Because, you know, we know that you, you had stopped then, right? So from June 2020 to December 2020, there was no bodybuilding. 
I, I didn't even take TRT most of the time. If I remember the shot, it was horrible. If I remember to take a shot, I did. I was primarily focused on just getting healthy and just getting this out of my body. Once I got told it was good to go, beginning of January last year, 2022, I said, okay, now it's time to come back. And that's when me and Flex really started picking things up again. Um, and things started working again. You know, I went up to 290. It wasn't the best looking 290, but I was getting strong in the gym. Um, but it looked like someone I, put an air hose in you because I saw you the second time. I told them, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what it must feel like to look like that one day. And then six months later, it looked like you put an air hose in every one of your muscles. I, I was blown away. I'm like, well, he certainly is feeling healthier. Holy crap! <laughs> I, I was too when I when I, when we saw each other. Uh, both our ladies were doing the the class show, uh, Dom, and I did a double take when I saw you there. I'm like, Jesus, because I had only seen a picture of you online or video maybe like maybe months prior, and then to see you in person, I was like, Jesus, this guy's been training and eating again. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So that it was, I. Normally, I put on muscle very quick, but I, I do get very watery and inflamed. It just always was that way. So, a matter of like a matter of three weeks, I like blew up, and then it just got more and more and more. However, looking back on what I was doing, I really should have slowed things down a bit, and I could have. But it was like, let's keep training, let's keep eating more, let's keep taking this stuff. But then horrible sleep apnea came, and I had to do sleep yeah. apnea testing. So from January to late May last year, that was it. I knew I was coming back. I was going to keep going. I was going to do the New York Pro this year. Uh, but I made a decision last. So Flex retired. I remember I got the call from Flex before I saw him in person. He said, listen, dude, you know, I, I can't. I want to focus on my family. You know, I'm worried about my health, this and that, because he spoken openly about his stomach issues and having to eat. And, um, you know, kind of played in my mind that he just seemed so relieved. And throughout all last year, I just did – something didn't feel right. I didn't – I honestly, I didn't feel healthy. And then it was like, too, I spent all this money and all this time on getting this mercury out of my body. I'm finally healthy. Was it a sign to stop bodybuilding? Like, that's what I was thinking to myself. So late last May, I said, you know what? This has been great. Um, I put all this size on. January 22nd, I took my last progress. January, June 22nd or June 23rd, I posted my last progress photo when all the water came off. I looked insane, but uh, but that's when I was like, that's that, that's it for bodybuilding for me. Let me focus on my clients. They deserve all my time and yeah. attention and uh, focus on life. And But, yeah, so there's no more competitive bodybuilding for me. Right on. Right on. And right now you're really into boxing, kickboxing, martial arts. Like, tell us a little bit about that because I see some of your videos and I see. Yeah, hold you know, on. Some Before we do that, I don't want this to get lost. Any gear you have left over, I'll text you. I kid, I kid. Kind of. Uh, listen, anyway. I hate to break your heart. As soon as I made that decision, I gave everything away. Uh, <laughs> oh. I'm done with all this stuff. Ouch. I keep a couple bottles of test on hand, and right. that's it. As soon as that was done, I'm like, I am not going back from this. I don't need any of this stuff. I'm starting fresh because we have an extremist mindset. It's either yeah. all or nothing, you know? Yeah. And then once I made that decision, I'm like, I am done with this. So people still ask me to this day, you still got anything? I'm like, no, I'm just I'm done. <laughs> no, true, true. Real answer. Did you keep the GH, though? <laughs> exactly. So that I did. 
Good man. That I wasn't. I wasn't giving that away. But well, it's just too expensive to give away to somebody, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, right. like I got six, seven hundred dollars in my hand in one kit right here. Yeah, I'm not just giving this to anybody. Yeah, right. Always can so stay that I did use. So I came off everything uh, cold turkey for four months um, when I started my martial arts training, which we'll get into. I just stopped everything. I was like, let me just stop. Kept a little GH in, and then now I run. 100 megs of tests like every seven to eight days and then i used up all the gh and i refused to buy more so <laughs> but yeah go. so now um once i made that decision it was actually another thing because of flex um 2021 he brought me to my first ufc fight in vegas and i was never a fan of anything but bodybuilding so i was like he's like the ultimate fan there is he's good friends with a lot of the top guys all the guys at the ufc know him and I remember watching his fight, and it was during the time of my mercury uh, treatment. And I'm like, damn, this is awesome. I love this stuff. I would love to do this one day. So I said, one day when I'm done bodybuilding, I'm going to do this. But little did I know that time came way shorter than I, I planned on it to. So making the decision to leave my competitive goals behind me, focus on my health, focus on my clients, and focus on life, and now my living, being close to my family now, I was like, this is, I need a goal and something to put this energy into. And uh, I didn't even know if I was going to like it because I had no martial arts factor whatsoever. So I started training at Extreme Couture in Vegas, which is one of the most, um, I, it's one of the best gyms in the world when it comes to martial arts. Um, I started with jiu-jitsu and then I added in Muay Thai. And then now we have wrestling. So I trained jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai and wrestling. Um, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. So some days we train three and a half hours. Some days we train two hours. We try to train every day if we could. Uh, but it's completely uh, given me a new sense of direction. Like I, it, it has become, I've become obsessed with it like I did with bodybuilding when I was a teenager. I just want to point out that you said you switched to martial arts for your health. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people say the same. Uh, some people have said the same thing. And they were like, wait, don't, don't you know about brain damage? Don't you know you can break or tear things? I'm like, yeah, I know. But, you know, it's like, you know, with bodybuilding and having the, plus two, having the prior experience of mercury poisoning, I know it has a massive effect in the heart and brain. Yeah. So we know with steroids and weight gain, mm -hmm. this just isn't the most ideal. And I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was a bit scared. Sure. when I was trying to come back after my treatment because it was just sticking in my head about what Jason Ho was telling me because he retired because of his mercury poisoning. Mm -hmm. And that's how he started his supplement business and focused on his family. So it was in my head. But, you know, it was like, do I not do anything or do I do something? <clears throat> so I was like, let me do this. And I went all in on the, on the MMA now. And you got to have something. A, For people like us, you got to have something in your yeah. life that you love, that you focus on. So I... I think we all totally get it, you know? And that's it, it. In terms of health, yeah, you can risk brain damage and serious injury and stuff like that, you know, if you're not careful enough. But the one thing about me is I was always scared about my heart. You know, it's just been always in my head for years, and it forces you to become cardiovascular fit. Like, you have no choice. or You're going to feel like you're drowning. And for most of the time last year, I felt like I was drowning. And now I'm mm. at a point where I can do three and a half hours in a day, four hours in a day, whatever it is, and I can go, well, go. I still get gassed out because I'm still heavy. I'm trying to get my weight down still. But my heart feels as healthy and strong as it's ever been my entire life. Sure. You know, mm. so that's been the cool thing about it is uh, it, it, I definitely feel like I'm alive again, you know. 
Well, and you only really get hurt in MMA if, if you get hit. So you just don't just get hit. Don't, yeah, yeah. I mean, get you know, be better up. at it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. It doesn't too, seem that hard. That, that's the problem too. Is I, I like getting hit because it gives me like the sense of like, okay, okay, now I got to adapt to the situation. I got to come back with something. Yeah. So I'm still learn. I'm still learning about the, taking the extremes down to a different level. You know, but it, yeah. it's it's been it's been incredible. I, I've been wondering some, something like since the start here. So, cause you've been around for, you know, you've been around <clears throat> since you were a kid and you've seen basically bodybuilding evolve. Like the days when you started compared to the today, you know, we were all there too. There it, it's very different. And it, and it, I think you have an interesting perspective cause you were so young when you started. And when you see the newer generation of bodybuilding and see how much it's evolved, I would love to hear what your thoughts are about not like necessarily the just the pro level of bodybuilding, but bodybuilding as like a culture today compared to when you started, because when you started, it wasn't as like mainstream as it is today. And we didn't have like Instagram like we do now. It, it, it was a different place. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, I mean, to some, I may come off like um What's the word? Um, I may come off like a, I don't know, maybe a bit sour, but I have to be honest, I'm very upset with the state of bodybuilding today and how people conduct themselves and on, on, on a general basis. So back then, and back in New York, I was fortunate you know, to have Factory as my first coach. My gym was full of bodybuilders, but it was very welcoming. It was, like you said, it wasn't mainstream bodybuilding, but the bodybuilders are in there were helped each other we brought each other up you know it was a very conducive and supportive environment going to shows was was always entertaining i mean you could go to an amateur show back then and and i remember walking out so motivated for years these shows you have guys just that you would see in the national levels competing at these regional shows and trying to get requalified in the national level shows and even the way the media was back then you remember flex magazine online and muscular development in the forums um there was no social media like it was great the build-up of not only the pros but even the amateurs and seeing guys come up. And today, there's no coverage of anything, you know, almost nothing except for the pros. And even the way they do the pros is, isn't even because you have social media. But yeah. from uh, the way people back then, I guess you could call it old school. I wish I was sometimes born in the 90s. I were a bodybuilding so I can see how well those guys were. Like, I caught the tail end of everything, I feel, in a way. I was a day late and a dollar short. But I just feel everybody, from not everybody, for the most of people trained harder back then. They dieted harder. They did their cardio. Everything wasn't so overcomplicated. And for the most part, most people didn't. There wasn't really any social media to do it for. There was MySpace and then Facebook and then eventually Instagram. And then that changed into what it does today. You know, people trained and dieted and competed to win because they loved it. Yeah, that was yeah. the thing, too. Every, everybody loved it. But today, people do it to feel like they fit in somewhere, which is, that's okay too, if you really need that. But, you know, to put your body through such stress and spend all this money, you know, you have to love it. You know, you have to have passion in it. If you're going to put your body through all this stress and risk health issues and whatnot, and, and you want to win, you have to love and have passion for it. And today it's like, they kind of just do it for social media and Instagram. Um, or to say they're bodybuilding, you know, it, it sucks to see. Cause it's like, it, it's, it's well, I just not this. what it was. I always ask this, like, I don't, like, ask this people, but in my mind, I kind of ask this when I see certain people or I see Instagram. I'm like, if Instagram were gone today, would you still bodybuild? 
That's right. and, and, and there's a lot of yeses and a lot more no's, in my mm-hmm. opinion, when I see people online or even in the gyms. <clears throat> I And I agree. And I do think over the years – I was kind of losing that fire a little bit because of Institute. I hate hmm. I hate social media. I hate it. If I didn't have my coaching business and I wasn't involved in bodybuilding, <laughs> I wouldn't have social media. I really wouldn't. I would like to live my own private life, and it's a whole thing for me to post on Instagram. But over the last few years, especially coming back and just seeing the way people's mindsets have changed when they took a step back from the industry and how people were conducting themselves and treating one another and – the drama, there was always drama in the industry, but it was always, sure. you know, in circles. And now it's just yeah. all out there. It's become like a, I don't know, it's kind of become almost a circus in some ways. And I don't know. I, I just wish that the kids coming up today got to see bodybuilding through my eyes when I was coming up, you know, and got to see that part hurt. of the training, got to see all the pros in New York, got to yeah. see all the old school guys at the tail end. Because that's what gave me that drive. Like, Holy fuck, like. Those were the guys that gave me that passion, you know, aside from me loving what I was doing. And today, you know, there aren't really a lot of good examples for people to follow, unfortunately, either within the pros. Well, the reality is, though, I will say this, that by having conversations like this, you are giving people an opportunity to understand that. And you Mm -hmm. can see it just in the way that you carry yourself. Having not known you personally, and this is being our first conversation, I could see that in you. And that's why I asked you that question. Oh, thank you, Scott. Thank you. It's cool, I appreciate man. That. I appreciate it. And the other thing I'm thinking is, you know, you've had a lot of great opportunities through the year getting to, you know, work with Oscar as a kid, you know, and, and it, you've met a lot of cool people. You mentioned like you're friends with Flex, you know, everybody. And there is a reason for that. And that's because of the kind of person that you are. I can tell, man, you're the kind of person that people want to be friends with. And I think that that goes a long way in life you know what i'm saying and i think that if if people maybe the newer generation were to have some appreciation for that that we can maybe swing it back around so i i hope so i hope that anybody who's younger and newer can listen to this conversation and and maybe take something from it and then put in and and look at what they're putting out into the world i guess and i don't mean that as a lecture you know, there there were bad things back then as well. But I think there were right. some really cool things that would be cool to see come back around, come full circle. You mean like doing no, a workout I, and not I, like I, taking a picture and posting about it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, it's Thursday. It's like, great, you know? Like, I would even say like, as simple as something like people working in on – when was – Maybe you guys have had a different experience, but it's it's literally like people don't want that's their piece of equipment. And the thought of you working in is so 1985 to them. Really? That I need to go back to my. Yeah, it, it's and COVID may have made it worse. Don't get me wrong, because God forbid you're going to get your cooties on it. I understand that. <laughs> but even before it was the same thing it's literally like their room and until they're done with it you're not gonna it, it's just bizarre how many how many more sets hey are you just getting started a bunch and i just had to laugh i'm like god damn and you you just look at you like you're treating me like a piece of shit. i didn't treat you like a piece of shit for being a nobody in the gym but you don't want me to work in it's there's so many of those little things that are so subtle that you know when i hear dom talk about how it was when you started, that's how it was. It was like that in the 80s. When I started, it was like that in the 90s, and it was like that into the 2000s. And some, I, 
social media, I don't know. We became a bunch of narcissists. Now it's everybody looking askance at everybody like, oh, he's he's not that big or he's not that, oh, he's not. It's just so different. It was always so supportive. And you just, you like took me back with that statement to like 25 years ago, just like that. And it is, it's very, di will it come back around? I don't know. You, Scott, you're more optimistic than me. You think that people will listen and they'll be like, oh, maybe we should. I think they're listening and they're going, these four old heads don't know what they're talking about. They need to get with the times. Like, oh, they're talking about what happened back in the 90s. Ugh. Yeah, that's, that's me. That's the pessimist in me. That's the cynic in me. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Skip, did you, have some, did you have some rapid fire questions lined up? I do. I have some rap. I've started doing this with the people who come on and I don't like to give them a heads up because I want to ask you some questions. It's basically the first thing that comes off your head or it comes out okay. of your brain, comes off the top of your head. Some of them are serious. Some of them are not so serious. If you want to pass on one or if you want to pass, that's fine. But sometimes I have questions that when you pass, they're even worse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so just give okay. heads up. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll break in, though, with the easier ones, okay? Money is no object. What vehicle is in your driveway? A Ferrari. Nice. nice. Anything specific yeah. or no? Ferrari's cool, but does well, one listen, stand I'm, out? I don't know if you're... I, I, I'm a very simple person. I'm not even much of a car guy, but since I was a kid, I said one day I would love to have... A, oh, my phone is on low power. Nice. Uh, I would love Fair. to have a Ferrari, so yeah. If, if right, ever same thing. that opportunity, sure. Same thing, money is no object. Dream vacation. To travel the entire world and try food in all different cultures. All nice. Different places. Just not I fish. Mean, not them. fish. Not, just not all the fish. Maybe I'll eat some fish. Yeah. But I would love to travel the entire world because I love to eat and just try. That was always my thing with vacations. Just try foods from every place I go. I would just love to travel the world. Nice. Best school lunch, the cafeteria pizza or the cafeteria lasagna? It was pizza. Mm. Orange yeah, grease on top. It was definitely pizza, the $6 slices that they gave us. <laughs> Dif difference between, and this is going to give away whether you have clients in the UK, difference between daft and deft. I don't even know what either of those are. Fair enough. That's a, like I said. That's either. a UK thing. I wouldn't have picked it up without UK clients. So for what I've got it's worth, UK clients. I don't. And I, I you do don't a know? podcast with UK guy every week. You've I never don't heard know him say that. Okay, then you need to know. Deft is skilled. Like you're very skilled with your movements. Daft oh, yeah. is you're silly or foolish. Oh, You'll yeah, hear yeah. daft. I've heard that one a lot. Uh, what's your carry gun? <laughs> uh, it's a Glock 40C. Good man, yes. uh, good man. It's a four, it's a forty cal. It's not really a carry gun, but that's what I keep on. Wait, what is it? <laughs> it a twenty? A is it a twenty three Glock twenty three? Because it's a C, so it's a, compensated. It's a, it's a forty caliber. Contact. I know that. I don't know the exact technicalities of it, but that's does what it I have? Keep on me usually. Does it have like the hole? It has like the holes in the top. If it's a C. Oh yes, yes it does. Yeah, it has, I've got one of those too. Don't show it, Andrew. Don't show it. You'll get us demonetized. We can't Let me show break guns. it down. If we, to if we were going to, I could. I could. <laughs> <laughs> will, it, will it take a soul? If you need it to, will it take someone's soul? That's in a heartbeat. Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. 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 Let's put a hole right. in them. That was my Next first gun. <laughs> by the Next way. question: Hottest teacher in high school, male or female? <laughs> Wait, what? 
<laughs> Wait, <laughs> do you remember? I don't remember teachers. Who was your hottest teacher in high school? It could be male or female. I got to be politically correct here. I don't know. Maybe I don't remember age. my Maybe high school teachers' sexual. names. I don't know. Andrew, do you remember your high school know. teachers' names? Not the name, but I remember what she looked like. She wasn't my teacher. She was a teacher in my class. She, she taught Spanish. I know, but we were teenagers, so even if they weren't like smoking hot, there had to be like, I, there had to. Well, there she was, was for me. There was at least one that you think like, okay. She's I don't even remember the name, but I remember there being one in high school. She was a there you teacher. go. Yeah, that, that everybody in the school loved. <laughs> okay, next next question. Did you bang her? <laughs> no. Okay, next question. No. If I, you did bang her, would you lie about it on a podcast? Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, you ride. Have you been to Sturgis? I have. I won't wait. My dogs are fighting. Guys, hey, <laughs> hey, Mickey. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, so no, I have not been to Sturgis, unfortunately. So I actually, when I was trying to come back into bodybuilding, I stopped riding because I was afraid of getting hurt and putting them on the sidelines yet again. Uh, sure. Now that I'm down here in Florida, I, I still have my bike. I brought it to Vegas. I brought it here. Um, hopefully, I can take a Sturgis, uh, Sturgis trip one day. Fair enough. What's your dream bike? Well, what do you I ride first? You have it? It's a two thousand yeah, it's a two thousand sixteen street bob with the Dyna uh, body on it. So I figured it we was we did the a... heads, we did the cams on it. I still nice. have it. People are like, Oh, do you want a bagger? Do you want this? No, I love my bike. Sixteen inch eight hangers on it. That's what I started with. I have a ton of memories on that bike. I got it after my mom died and I will drag that thing out as long as I possibly can. I don't want any other bike. Even if somebody said I will buy even if somebody said I will buy you the bike, whatever bike you would want, I'm happy with mine. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a geezer glide kind of guy, I don't think. All right, no, you have not to yet pick at least. <laughs> eventually, we'll get there eventually. Um, one of two, you have to pick one. Who do you oh, want to see naked? Melania Trump or Michelle Obama? That's obvious. Melania Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle Obama's pretty thick. She's pretty. She's pretty good looking too, though. Come on now. Anyway, like my chicks okay. Like now my chicks. you still have to pick two. Diane Feinstein or Nancy Pelosi? Oh. I know. It's a tough one. That's I'm ending it with that one because it's the hardest one. But you gotta pick one. <laughs> Who's Diane Feinstein? She's oh, a representative no from, from California. What yeah. She, she, and thankfully she's, she's the old, She's the oldest member of Congress right now. Wow. So oh. she's she's like eighty six or eighty five. Uh, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go with her because Nancy. And you haven't just, you haven't uh, seen her, but I got to tell you, it's a tough decision either way. <laughs> either one, one is going to be the same, honestly. Yeah, it's either way. It's going to be painful. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to pass. I'm, I'm going to pass it that one. <laughs> yeah. so and I don't follow up because that one was so good. I don't have a follow up. That's good move. For you. <laughs> All right. That's been our new experiment. Skip between coming up with uh, the rapid fire questions, but that's all we've got time for, man. This has been uh, a serious pleasure. It's been great to meet you. I, I really appreciate you taking all the time to come on. You know, I do have one more question. You've got three dogs. What kind of dogs are they? So Mickey and Misty, I had since 2015. They were rescues. They came from South Texas. They're like a healer dog mix. They kind of look like Mini German Shepherds, in a way, they're 30 pounds each. Okay. Um, and then my girlfriend's dog, Clyde, um, now that me and her live together, so that's who was fighting was Mickey and Clyde because they're two males. They kind of uh, go at it sometimes. And he's a Frenchie. So, 
Oh, it, it, nice. It's a, it, it's a weird, it's a weird mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. That's all we got time for. If people did want to reach out to you, Dom, for coaching, uh, it, or just to follow you, you know, with Instagram that we just <laughs> were talking about. What's the best ways to reach out to you and, and where can they follow you? So my Instagram is IFBB Dom Cardone. That's IFBB D-O-M-C-A-R-D-O-N-E or my website CardoNutrition.com. Awesome. I'll make sure to have that down in the show notes. And guys, if you want to reach out to Skip, you can go to teamskip.com, hit up Andrew at bodyberry.com. You can reach out to me, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. Uh, thank you guys for hanging with us and watching this. Check out our great sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians, Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. And thank you to everybody from Patreon. Uh, we'll be back with a bunch more stuff. And uh, Dom, man, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm really got, glad that we got a chance to finally do this. Yeah. Well, thank you guys very much for having me on. It was a great show. And like I said, I've been watching you guys for uh, for a while. And uh, it was a great conversation to have. So thank you for having me on. Hell yeah. Guys, we will see you soon. Thank <laughs> you.